such a great job of picking songs for tonight. Uh, I want to just say thanks to a pastor named Dave McFadden for some of the thoughts coming out of the message for tonight. <clears throat> Amen. Faith is an awesome thing, isn't it? Faith is a strange thing in, in, the, in the walk. It's a necessary thing, and yet sometimes seems so elusive. And um, we practice faith. You ever notice that you practice faith? You, you think God said something? You ever been there? I think that's what God's saying. And you step out and you do something, and, and you say, well, God, where are you? You know, what was that all about? And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't claim to have this thing all figured out. And don't suppose I ever will until I get to glory. But I, I just, over the course of my 53 years, noticed there's been lots of times that I thought things were God and I stepped out and did something I thought was ridiculous. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was my own, my own, I don't know, recklessness or something. And there's been those times that you just know that you know that God says it's time to go. And Debbie and I have had several of those in our life. One of those was uh, when I was getting ready to go to Bible college. Uh, some of you have heard this story many times, but um, getting ready to go to Bible college, we both had good-paying jobs. I was working as a dental technician, just about getting ready to make some really good money because I was starting to work with the ceramic end of it. And my wife was a teacher, and uh, she was also nine months pregnant. And uh, the Lord called us to Bible school. And so we just kind of dropped what we we're doing and headed off to Bible school, gave most of our stuff away and what we had left we packed in a little mini station wagon, headed off to Bible college and uh, uh, her parents thought we were crazy. <laughs> My boss thought I was crazy. I had, I had a Jew and a German boss, uh, both, both prostodontists and, and uh, they, they said, well, just we'll buy you a church around here. You can preach on the weekends and work here, you know. And uh, so it's kind of crazy. They just could not understand why I was doing what I was doing. And after we got to Bible college, I couldn't understand why I did what I did either. And we spent a lot of time with very, very, very little through Bible college. But, uh, and also along with that, God just miraculously showed himself faithful to us over and over again. And, uh, and then when we got ready to leave Bible college, um, we were at Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. And um, so many of our friends were, were just taken off after Jimmy Swaggart had his fall. Um, kids were just bailing like, like the next day. They were just leaving college. And, and I just had this thing in my heart that, that I felt like the Lord was saying, listen, I called you here, and you're not here because of that man. You're here because you're here to be, be trained, and I want you to stay until, until I tell you to go. And uh, so we did. We just stayed. And, you know, most of our friends there had already left, but we stayed. And... Um, I came home from school one day, and my, my wife said, I, I, know, I know where we're to go. And I said, oh, great, where? She said, I'm not telling you. I uh, said, well, thanks. Appreciate that. She said, I want the Lord to tell you. So uh, it was, I don't know, sometime later, I was working in a dental lab when I was at school. And I was there like 11 o'clock at night all by myself. And the whole lab was dark except for a little light over my bench. And I'm sitting there just grinding away on a crown. And, and I mean crystal clear like someone was standing right beside me. The, the word caribou just came into my spirit. Just caribou. And I knew it was God so clear. I just dropped my stuff when I went over the phone and called my wife. Woke her up. I said, God's calling us to caribou, isn't he? She said, that's exactly what he called me. Uh, said to me. So we waited several, several weeks 
Every day my wife was bugging me, call Caribou, call Caribou. And we only knew one church in Caribou. We both grew up in that church, and that was the last place in the world we wanted to go, by the way. Caribou, Maine, which is like the end of the earth, and it's cold, really, really cold, where you plug your car in kind of cold to keep it warm so you can start it in the morning cold. And, um, and so that was the last place in the world we wanted to go. So it had to be God saying Caribou to me. Um, and uh, so I woke up one Monday morning, and I just, my, something in my heart, just said, today's the day, call Caribou. So I called the pastor up and I said, Pastor Sullivan, this is Joe. I'm down here in Bible College, my wife and I, and we feel the Lord's calling us to Caribou and I want to let you know that we're coming and if there's anything we can do to help when we get there, if we can clean the church or help with rangers or missionettes, whatever you want us to do, we want you to know that we're coming and we want to serve you. And he said, well, that's great, Joe. The problem was is we didn't have any money to get to Caribou. We were just poor, broke college students. And an hour after I made that phone call, his uh, associate pastor walked in and resigned. He said, I've been talking about this, thinking about this, praying about this for a year. And he resigned one hour after I made that phone call. And so I got a phone call pretty quick after that and said, hey, look, we need an associate pastor. Would you be interested? And I said, God's good. And they paid our way to get to Caribou, thank God. Because God said, go. We just didn't know how to get there, right? And uh, so we were there for several, uh, several years and had some fruitful ministry there and um, uh, were led to, to go to Pennsylvania through some uh, circumstances that were awesome, God's uh, faithfulness and timing. And then, uh, I don't know, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, about 12 years after being in uh, Perry County, the Lord, uh, we traveled and sang and preached, did a little evangelistic work and music ministry. And, and then uh, the Lord led us to several churches, and several of them asked us to be their pastor. And we were like, ah, no, we don't want a pastor. And... Um, so after the third one, we just said, well, maybe God's got something going on here. We better entertain that thought a little, a little closer. And we ended up coming here and, and candidating, and, and here we are 11 and a half years later, and it's just been really cool. So God, I like, I like hearing God's, don't, don't you like hearing God's voice? Isn't it frustrating when you want to hear God's voice and you don't hear God's voice? Ever been there? Probably more than the times we have heard God's voice. I don't quite understand all of that. Hearing, not hearing, why, why not. Uh, But it happens in our journey, and I think our faith has grown somehow through that. And tonight I want to entitle our time together, It's Time to Step into the Storm. It's time to step into the storm. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) Anybody going through a storm? Any storm walkers right now? Okay, we've got a couple up front here. They sheepishly put their hand up. Matthew 14, verse 22. Not sure what's going on with my voice here. I feel like I'm going through puberty. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went on to to the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. 
It is I. Don't be afraid. Before we go on, I wonder how many are been walking through storms and you wondered where Jesus was. I picture the disciples out there in the middle of the lake rowing and they're, of course, seasoned sailors. And um, I picture them in that storm thinking, why, why did he send... I know why he didn't come with us. He knew a storm was coming. He wanted us to get in this by ourselves. Imagine what's going through their head. But they're in the middle of that storm, struggling with all that's in them. And when Jesus does show up to help, they freak out like it's a ghost. And I love Jesus' words to them that I think, honestly, in the midst of any of our storms that we're going through, if we could hear God say these words to us, doesn't matter how bad the storm is, at least for me personally, I feel like that if I, in the midst of a storm, a really bad storm, like life-changing storm, like something that shatters your world where everything you're holding on to just seems to be crashed, the kind of storm that rocks your faith and questions your faith, if you could hear Jesus say these words, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. As I read that tonight, I wondered how many times we, we individually have gone through storms and we've neglected to hear the voice of God. We focused so much on the storm that we haven't intently listened for the voice of God. When God's voice is wanting to say to us, take courage. It is I. And don't be afraid. Those are pretty powerful words in the midst of a storm, I think. Because they bring courage to us. They bring identity to us. They bring consolation to us. They have a way of stripping aside, okay, it's all right now. I remember growing up, I was in a family of seven. Six of us were boys. And whenever we got in a tussle somewhere, you know, a fight in the neighborhood or something, and I knew I was in over my head, when my brothers showed up, there was this sense of, yeah. It's okay now. And quite frequently, my older brothers would just have to show up and the fight ended. Kind of got a feeling that Jesus is like that. No matter what's going on, how bad the enemy is buffeting you, when Jesus shows up and says, it is I, take courage, don't be afraid. It's one of those kind of things. Continue verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied. Of course, it's always Peter, right? Peter is the one that just always says what everybody else wished they had said. But when they're saying it, they're looking at him like he's stupid, right? Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And uh, I don't think Peter was expecting this answer. <laughs> and Jesus said, come. Peter, so glad you asked that question. Why don't you just come? I imagine Jesus as he's walking in the water, just kind of chuckling at that, you know. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Well, come, with a smile on his face, come. Oh, this is going to be great. Peter of all people, come on, Peter, just come on. Can you imagine Jesus in the middle of this just having fun with Peter? That's not a good sound. Fire trucks, ambulance, Lord bless whoever's having trouble. 
So then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. There's someone in this room that needs to hear a message of faith. There's someone in the room tonight that's making decisions that needs to hear the voice of the Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would plant deep-rooted faith in their heart. I pray that they would hear the voice like Peter heard, come. And that they would hear your voice as you spoke Take courage, it is I, be not afraid. Wherever they are, whatever's going on, whatever step that you're bidding them to do, Lord, pray that you'd give them faith to step out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have here in our text, Jesus had just got done feeding 5,000 with just two fish and five loaves. Not a bad miracle, huh? Pretty impressive. And they're wanting to make him king and, uh, through several of these situations that Jesus is going through. And so Jesus disperses the crowd, sends the disciples on ahead, and he goes and spends some time in prayer. And by this time, it's, it's dark. And the Sea of Galilee is known for the storms that come up by winds that sweep down the, the, the mountains and hit the lake, and they come quickly. And the disciples had set out to cross the Sea of Galilee when one of those storms came. And they struggled against the winds and the waves. And the night wore on and Jesus went to meet the disciples on the other side. And imagine as Jesus was watching them struggling how he wished he could have been with them. But scholars tell us that this event occurred near the time of the Passover observance. It was uh, mid-April. So there would have been a, a full moon. It's interesting because seeing the ghost walk on the water in the full moon. In the ancient times, night was divided into four watches. There was the 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first. Nine to midnight was the second. Midnight to three and three to six. And since we're told this miracle occurred during the fourth watch, we know Jesus went out on the water to meet his disciples sometime between three and six. Anybody out been boating that time of night? Morning, (laughs) three to six in the morning. And as he stood on the hillside in the light of the full moon, Jesus saw them struggling and he went to them in their time of need. And I want to look at some of the stories, uh, some lessons we can learn from this story tonight. Without faith, first of all, the scripture tells us that it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, We read that in Hebrews 11, 6. And to live by faith and to not live by faith is to live in sin. If a life of faith pleases the Lord, then a life vacant of faith would displease the Lord, would be the flip side of that coin, if you will. 
that it would be, be sinful. Everything that does not come from faith is sin, Romans 14 tells us. And the degree of faith I possess will de- determine the degree of blessing that I receive. I wonder tonight how many of us have a growing faith, an exercised faith. You know, muscles that are built up that don't get exercised become flabby, don't they? I don't know if you ever saw some of those big bodybuilders when they get done doing all their bodybuilding. It looks kind of nasty. Bill Shriver says about his stomach, it's muscle, it's just relaxed muscle. And faith that way, that faith that isn't exercised is, is flabby. It's displeasing to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, uh, Jesus is approached by two blind men, and they want to be healed. And Jesus says these words to them. And, and this is a scripture that you, Earl, uh, called one day and gave me as well. According to your faith, will it be done to you? According to your faith, not, not mom's faith, not dad's faith, husband's wife's faith, daughter's son's faith, but according to your faith. Be it done to you. So there's a personalization of this faith that I have to personally take on some effort, some part of this faith has to be mine. Because faith is the key to the Christian fulfilling his call to live a Christ-like life in this world. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. John says in, in 20 and 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he goes on to say, uh, chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So this faith is not a, a reckless or a blind faith, but we're simply doing what the Lord spoke to us or observing what Jesus did and following the pattern of Jesus. After all, he is our example, is he not? Jesus that we follow. So Jesus took this miracle And he used it to teach his disciples a lesson about faith. And let's see what we can learn as well and how we can apply this to our life. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means getting out of the boat. In this case, in this story, it meant getting out of the boat. I mean, if Peter was going to ask, bid me come, it would have been nicer on a sunny day on a calm lake. It would have been a great day to say, hey, Lord, bid me to come. But Peter, in the most uh, unopportune situation, asked the Lord, bid me to come in the middle of a storm. Peter walks in the wa- is walking on the water, and it's a great illustration of the walk of faith. But before Peter could walk on the water, he had to get out of the boat. I don't know about you, but I often imagine Peter, after Jesus saying that, I think the teenagers use this phrase, dope, <laughs> dope, what was, I, what was I thinking? I was just dumb. I was just dumb. You can see him getting over the edge of the boat like, ah. But I wonder how many of us might be in that phase of our faith, where the leg's being lifted, we're about to step out and do something. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And we could straddle the edge of the boat and still not have faith. But until that final leg comes over, we release from the boat. That's scary right there, to make that step. 
The Lord's asking you to do something. I think of people like missionaries when I think of things like that, when the Lord says, walk away from all that you have. Go to Japan, go to Russia, go somewhere. To step away from all that's comfortable, all that safety. For Peter, that boat was security. For Peter, that boat was safety in the natural. But in the spirit realm, the real safety was out on the water where Jesus had come. It doesn't make sense. The spirit and the natural don't usually coincide smoothly together. In fact, oftentimes they conflict with one another. And such was the case here. He had to be willing to forsake what he had been trusting in for security. And he had to find a security in the word of the Lord. As we often say here, when God speaks a word, everything that's needed to perfect and to perform the word that he spoke is in the word itself. And the scripture says that the word is living and active. It's powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. That's the word of God. It's alive. And so when the Lord speaks something, everything that's needed and necessary to perform what that word just spoke is in there. And Peter understood that, and he stepped out. And when he left the security of the boat, it was in response to the word Jesus gave him. One word, come. Just come. I don't know about you, but I've learned over the years that God doesn't have to say a whole lot to speak to your spirit man. In fact, he can say small sentences or words, and it expands in your spirit. Somehow, your spirit communicates on a different level than word phrases. I was thinking when we had that vision about the building downtown, when I saw the vision of a corner of a brick building, somehow in my spirit, I knew it was four feet. And somehow in my spirit, I knew it was attached to a large building. See, there's no way I could have known any of that, but somehow my spirit was communicating with the Spirit of God. And he puts all of those pieces together. God elaborates things in the spirit because things sown in the spirit become much larger, like a seed planted in the ground is only a small thing, but when it brings fruit, it becomes a large stock. Such it is with our spirit. So um, Peter, here's the word come. I was reminded of a, uh, a story of, there was a preacher, a priest, and an atheist went on a fishing trip. I don't know if you've heard this story. They were in the boat and the preacher said, oh no, I left my paddles on shore. So he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water to the shore to get the paddles. And once he got back into the boat, the priest says, oh no, I left my bait at the shore. And so he gets out and he walks across the water and gets his bait and gets back in the boat. Well, if you guys can do it, I can, said the atheist. And he proceeds to climb out of the boat, but he, fa- he falls into the water and he's splashing around and the preacher says to the priest, do you, do you think we should have told him where the rocks were? See, we're told within the pages of Scripture where the rocks are. Jesus is the rock, isn't he? And when he says, come, there's always something to step out on. There's something concrete. Although it doesn't make sense in the natural, we can't even reason it. It doesn't make rational sense to us. When, When the Spirit of God says, come, there's something to step on when you step out of the boat. It didn't make sense for Peter to step on the water. 
In the natural, he should have sunk. As we order our lives according to God's word, we'll trade the false sense of security that the world gives for a security far greater than anything this world has to offer us. The things the world offers me for security, like money or friendships or possessions or health or whatever it might be that you're holding on to, those are all here today and gone tomorrow, aren't they? We have no promise of any of those. But God endures forever, and God's word will not let you down. Some of you may know Kay Arthur. She has some great materials out, books that she's written, uh, precept upon precept, Bible studies that she has. But what many don't know is that uh, this has been her positive response to tragedy in Kay's life. Her husband attended a liberal seminary that denied the inspiration of God's word, and his, in his confusion, he ended up uh, divorcing her and led, left her, uh, you know, in this bitter divorce and then eventually hung himself and died, obviously. And her response to that tragedy in her life was, God, I need to find something that I can hold on to. I need to find something that is concrete. I need to find something that is sure. And she went to the Word, and she began, began to use the Word as her foundation for her life and gave her direction. She now has made it her mission to point others to the Word of God because when all else fails, this will never fail. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's a good thing to build your life on. It's a good thing to hold on to. Walking by faith means I trust in the Lord and His Word to such a degree that I, I let it impact my life and make a difference in my life. Someone said, faith is a way of walking, not a way of talking. A lot of people talking about faith. And how many people are walking that out? To quit talking about God's word and start walking according to God's word, I need to get out of the boat, which will require two things. I want to just quickly address those tonight. First of all, a willingness to get wet. If you're going to get out of the boat, you're going to get wet. In other words, sometimes following God is messy. Just because God said go doesn't mean it's going to be a, 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 a rose garden. Getting out of the boat to walk on the water like Jesus, Peter had to be willing to get wet. So do we. Be willing to get wet for Jesus, I believe, means at least two things. It means that we are willing to take a risk for Jesus' sake. Think about it. Life is pretty boring. If you're going to take a risk for anything, why don't you take a risk for Jesus? I think this is what God's saying. Well, well, go for it. Seek counsel and go for it. Step out of the boat. Get wet a little bit. Often we read this, this story and we focus on Peter's failure to stay on top of the water, but instead we need to give focus on the other disciples who were still in the boat and they failed. And none of these stories are ever talked about the others that were in the boat. They're all talking about Peter. So yeah, he made a big splash out of this, but he's talked about and he's encouraged, and, and, and we're encouraged by his faith. It's better to fail and attempt to follow Jesus than to succeed in playing it safe. That's what I want to say. And we can try some great things for the Lord's sake. 
Peter was more of a success in his failure. Catch this. More of a success in his failure than the disciples were in playing it safe. Can you imagine Peter when they're hanging out later on? Guys, you should have seen it. It was awesome. I was scared to death. Well, when I stepped out of that boat, I was walking on water. Well, what did it feel like? I felt like the street, man. I was walking on. The wind was blowing everything. I was walking on water. And all the other disciples, you know they were in the boat going, man, look at him. Wish I could have done that. And I wonder how many people are looking at your life saying, man, wish I could do that. Or are you the one in the boat saying, man, I wish I could be like that? Well, you can, but you got to get out of the boat. You got to be willing to get wet. You got to be willing to touch people for Jesus' sake. Remember that little thing we used to do when we were kids? This is the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door and... There's the people, right? We're all fine and dandy staying in the church. But what if Jesus says, get out of the church? What if Jesus says, go, do something crazy? John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. How did the Father send him? Luke tells us that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we're talking about the building downtown, we, the meeting we had a couple of weeks ago, we just decided, you know, we can't wait for the building to come available to us. There's some things we need to be doing right now. And the Lord's going to start pushing some of us out of our nest, so to speak, out of the boat in this context that we're talking about tonight. And we're going to start doing some things that are kind of uh, maybe uncomfortable to us. And we're going to get messy. We're going to meet some people who are messy. And they're going to help mess us up. And we're going to all get messed up. But you know what? Jesus, when Peter went down, what did Jesus do? He was right there, right? Reached and helped and pulled him up. So if we're going to walk on water by faith... Uh, with the walk of faith, we be like Jesus in this world. We must be willing to reach beyond our comfort zone. Too often our reasoning sounds more like this. Maybe you can identify with this. I hope not. I was naked, and you questioned my lack of modesty and appearance. I was imprisoned, and you debated the legal aspects of interference. I was penniless, and you discussed tax-deductible donations from your wealth. I was sick, and you thanked the Lord for the blessings of your health. I was hungry, and you formed a club to study malnutrition. I was homeless, and you said God's love was shelter under any condition. I was lonely, and you let me by myself while you and your friends prayed. You seem so holy and close to God, yet I'm sick. I'm still sick and alone and afraid so encouraged the other day we've got a single mom in our church that has been 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 through a rough time I was talking to her a little bit after church today three children to three different fathers and now she's living in a homeless shelter been through some really hard hard things but everyone's wondering how do we help this girl how do we help this lady and a couple of ladies from the church finally 
came to me actually within the same week. He said, Pastor Joe, we need to do something about this. I said, I know, but it seems like so big. What do we do? And another one came. Pastor Joe, we need to do something about this. I know, but what do we do? See, sometimes people bring it to the pastor and they think I'm supposed to solve everything. That's what my grandkids think. The world's best fixer. But the truth of the matter is when God lays things like that on people's hearts, oftentimes he's wanting them to be involved in that. And so I just said, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. And so the two ladies got together and they're helping this single mom by trying to help find an apartment for her. And then they're asking people in the congregation, hey, would you be willing to help pay for a month's rent so we can give this, this single mom a year to get her feet underneath her, to help her find a job, help her to get a car, help her to get herself situated. Can you imagine if you were that single mom? Young, three kids. One of her kids is with a godparent. Another one is living with his father. One stays with her in the homeless shelter. I, I personally, I can't imagine being a woman, first of all, but being a woman taking care of three little boys and then being in a homeless shelter wondering when I close my eyes at night what might happen to my little guy. I can't imagine that. But I'm thankful that there's some ladies in the church, there's some individuals in the church that say, you know what, I'm willing to step out of the boat and I'm willing to get messed up a little bit here to help. So to get out of the boat and step into faith requires a willingness to get wet, but secondly, courage to respond to the call. Anyone can sit in a boat, but it takes a person of courage to get out of the boat and walk where and how Jesus calls him to. So why does it take courage to walk by faith? Well, because when we respond to the call of the Lord to do what he says, it will sometimes mean standing up when others don't. Peer pressure. Standing up when everyone else is sitting down, saying go when everybody else is saying stay. Charge when everybody else is saying retreat. It takes courage to stand up and be counted, but it takes even more courage to keep standing once you've been counted. Once you're the only one standing, boy, it seems like everyone wants to take a pot shot at you, doesn't it? I, I personally, I get a little ticked off. Every once in a while, I come across an email or something, and uh, it'll be some, some guy who is blasting every preacher he can think about. And he's got little video clips that he took little snapshots of a preacher somewhere that said this, and this is why he's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. He's a, and I, I just want to put my fist through, through the internet and grab a hold of the guy and shake him a little bit. You know, he's, he's in podunk somewhere, and, you know, and, and he's got nothing better to do than navel gaze at everybody and find their faults, you know, when there's Peter standing up, willing to get wet and do something great for the gospel. And nobody's ever heard of this guy before because all he does is throw stones at the guy that stood up. That just irritates me. I don't know about you. It's one of my pet peeves. Standing up when others don't, but also stepping out where others won't. I ain't going there. Well, somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to do it. Hebrews 11 is called the, 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 the roll call of faithful. And some have suggested, however, that it should be called the roll call of the courageous. That's probably more likely. Because they found the courage to stand up and step out for God. I was thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
I was thinking of Daniel being thrown in the, the furnace, uh, in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. I, I was thinking how crazy that is and how they stood up when they knew what it meant for them. And I was thinking how awesome is God to step into that fiery furnace, and the king looks in. He says, we threw three in there. I don't get it. There's four. And one of them looks like the Son of Man. I don't know how he knew what the Son of Man looked like, but something about inside of him, he resonated with that. But God met them right where they are in the midst of a difficult situation. Never been in a lion's den. Never been in a fiery furnace. Never been on a wind-tossed sea. But I'm asking God, God, would you give me some kind of faith in my life to step out, to do something courageous, to stand when others are sitting down, and to step out when others won't step out? I've got a sneaky feeling that this building downtown is going to be kind of one of those things for our church. And there's going to be some things that there will be people sitting on the sidelines saying, you shouldn't be doing that. And what's this going to cost? And they're going to throw all kinds of stones at that. And all I'm saying is, God, I don't care about any of that. If you want us to do this, I know that you've got provision and you're going to make a way. I just want to do what you want us to do. Amen. I think of Noah. Poor guy. He got a lot of years being blasted, didn't he? They thought he was a lunatic. Building a boat? We don't even have rain around here. What are you talking about, boat? Then there's Abraham, ready to kill his own son. The one that he prayed God would give him. God finally gave him. Now he's going to kill him because he's obeying God. Doesn't make sense. Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David. The list is endless. People who, would you add your name to that list? Would you step out in faith some way that somewhere in the annals of history, in the annals of time, that your name could be written and plugged in there and sometime down the road people would say, I remember Sharon, I, re- I remember Roger, I remember Lee, I remember Marcus, and, and they did something awesome for God. Is, are you at the place where you'd say, God, I'm willing to get wet, I'm willing to stand when others are sitting, I'm willing to step out when no one else will. Are you willing to put your name on the line like that? We're just ordinary people. Look around the room tonight. We're ordinary people. There's nothing special about any of us in this room. But so wasn't Abraham, Noah, Sarah, Jacob, Gideon, and the list. They're all just ordinary people. I love the song that God uses people. Just like you and me. Ordinary people. Isn't it weird how we all look from our insecure shells like Somebody else has got it all together, but not me. Truth be known, if we could all hear each other's heart, we've all said that to ourselves at one point or another. Oh, that person is so much better spiritually, or boy, that person can pray, or that person can preach, or that person can sing, and that person can teach, and and that person... But those people are saying the same thing. I wish I could do that. Can you just be comfortable in your own skin and say, God, I'm just ordinary and it really isn't about me. It's Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. The faith gets expressed only when we recognize his greatness in us.
Who would have known a few years ago that when we reached out to Richard Kreider with his home and helping him fix his home that his brother would come to know Christ and Richard would come to know Christ and, and that God would lay even a bigger project on our hearts. That's just one example of how stepping out of the boat, leaving our comfort zone. I remember how awkward it was going to Richard's house because the thought was, you know, this guy obviously needs some help, help with his house. It's falling down around him. But, you know, how do you go to, to a guy and say, hey, your house is falling down around you uh, and we're here to help you? I mean, that's kind of, uh, I don't know, it just seems rude, doesn't it? So is God, you know, we're, we're stepping out here. We don't know what to say. We're, we're going, we're going to go, and we're going to knock on the door. But, man, help us with the verbiage here, you know. And I remember getting there that day and just saying, hey, hey, where's some guys from the neighborhood? We didn't tell them we were churches. I didn't tell them I was a preacher. Where's some guys from the neighborhood? And we're just trying to help some people out. Is there anything we can do to help you out around the house here? <laughs> he was like, sure, I got lots of things to help around the house. And that kind of made it easy. It broke the ice. And so it's stepping out and sometimes feeling a little foolish. It's just all right. Jesus calls each of us to live an extraordinary life, a faith-filled life, a life that's Christ-like, a Christ-like life. How extraordinary was Jesus' life when all the religious people were just letting the nonsense go on in the temple and Jesus goes in and upsets the tables he made kind of a spectacle of himself that day didn't he so it's going to mean getting out of the boat how do you need to get out of the boat today what's the Lord speaking to your heart What's that little thing that's in your spirit that's been churning there maybe for years, maybe weeks or months, whatever it is, but there's, some, there's that one little thing that the Holy Spirit put in your heart. You're saying, yeah, but God, I don't know how. I don't know. I can't. Can you just put one leg over the boat tonight? Dangle your ankle in the water a little bit. Say, God, it's just like I thought. It's wet. And it's cold. I don't like the feeling. But you let that foot get used to the water a little bit. And then throw the other leg over. And release yourself from the boat. And you watch God do a miracle through your life. You're just ordinary. We're all just ordinary. But God makes you extraordinary he takes your natural and makes it supernatural he takes your storm and he calms it he takes your lack of faith and your fear and he settles it gives you peace I don't know where you're at tonight but I just had a sense that maybe there's someone in this room tonight that's got some big decisions and they're scary decisions and God's asking you to step out of the boat doesn't take any faith to sit in the boat doesn't take any faith to sit inside the church with a bunch of Christians man to step out Whew. scary yeah uncertain absolutely 
timid? More than likely. You're going to get wet? You can count on it. But he won't let you fail. And he's not going to let you down. He'll be there to lift a hand and pick you up. So what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Maybe a good splash would do you good. The nasty plunge. Just take it for Jesus. Father, tonight we thank you for Peter. We thank you for what they thought was a ghost was indeed the very answer to what they needed in the middle of that storm. Because of Peter's faith, calm entered that atmosphere. Your word said when they got back in the boat, the wind calmed down. They benefited from the faith of Peter. Tonight we're benefiting from it as well. And I ask, Lord, around this room, Lord, in all of our hearts, when that word is spoken to us, that word, that one little word as you spoke to Peter, come, we be quick to respond. Be quick to hear your voice. Be quick to step over the edge of the boat. Both feet. Be quick to let go of the boat with that last hand. And make our way towards you. Stretch our faith, God. Whatever that means to us in this room. Those situations that we're just too timid about. We're too, we're too shy. We're too backward. We're too fearful. Whatever those are in our lives. God, would you, would you help us to look past the natural and be supernatural in our walk with you? And for that, we'll give you thanks and praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.